Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. I sat down with Dave Mornsell from Haven Tech and we discussed his opinion around privacy that not enough current technologies are providing adequate protection towards sensitive information. Dave discusses changing the conversation between multinationals adopting startup technologies and how certain companies should look to incorporate innovative tech startup businesses to increase their existing capability. If you're keen to learn a little bit more about what Dave has to say, then this episode is for you and please keep on listening. Okay, so Dave, when we spoke initially, I was really interested in what you were doing and what Haven Tech were doing in the identity space. And I think it's an area that I'd like to put some focus on because it's becoming highly relevant with everything that's happening today, even more so. So I'm really keen to dive on into your thoughts in this space and how it's evolving. But before we do that, we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey. So can you walk our listeners through about your career and how you ended up doing what you're doing? I sure can. So I've spent uh, probably the last, you know, the better part of the last 30 or so years and what could be described as a technology career. From an Australian perspective, I actually started at the Australian Stock Exchange back in the mid-90s when it was uh, initially connecting to the internet and occupied a number of roles there, including leading their uh, internet and information security team. Following uh, time at the ASX, I spent the, the better part of the next 20 years or so at Accenture. And most of that time uh, with financial services clients, in one form or another, were connecting parts of their enterprise to the internet. I also led uh, Accenture's digital business uh, here in Australia and New Zealand for a number of years. Most recently, uh, since uh, 2019, I've taken on the CEO opportunity at uh, an Australian cyber startup called Haven Tech. Okay, and how do you feel about transitioning from more of an enterprise into a, a startup perspective? That's a great question. Uh, I did it because I didn't know if I could do it. I like from, okay. a career perspective, from a career perspective, I like challenges that I am unsure of my own abilities to be successful in that space. Mm-hmm. Have a look at my trans- transition from the stock exchange to management consulting and from what was essentially management consulting to now startup, if I go back to each of those moments that you know got me thinking about the change, each of those are characterised by a, a personal uncertainty about my ability to be successful. And the only way you know mm-hmm. is by going and doing. And, um, you know, I, I didn't at the you know, the start of the exercise when I ultimately ended up joining Haven Tech, know if I had the skills, the capabilities, the, the experience to bring all of the moving parts together in a way that's going to help the organisation grow, um, mm-hmm. which is why I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely correct. And I think a lot of people ask me this question as well. And I think it's something that until you experience it firsthand, it's hard to understand what really happens in the startup space. But I know from our discussions that we've had, you mentioned that current technologies are not really providing adequate protection of privacy to sensitive information. So can you talk to me about why this is happening? 
Well, yes, and I mean, the, you know, this particular moment in time is, you know, with you know the pandemic that's going on at the moment. But it, but even before that, you would char- characterize the certainly the last ten or so years have been a an era of quite, well, truly, actually, truly remarkable change. I mean, we're seeing industries and enterprises that have been transformed by new technologies. The incumbents, you know, the, the traditional businesses that occupied a large part of the market, they're being disrupted. And the organizations that are coming in and disrupting those markets, mm. they're, 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 they're not only disrupting, but they're redefining them and they're transforming the set of customers' expectations that are serviced by that market. Mary Meeker, in her uh, Internet Trends report last year, you know, highlighted the fact that now half, more than half the world's population is now online and, and many of the organizations that are seeking to remain relevant to their markets, whether they're you know, called a disruptor or, or an incumbent, they're really looking to, to digital technology as a means to underpin both access to and meaningful engagement with their markets. Mm-hmm. So, so this, you take that, you know, lot, lots of change occurring, uh, you've got rapidly expanding con- connectivity, uh, and and that rapidly expanding connectivity is allowing, uh, you know, in, both incumbents to def- defend their marketplace, new business opportunities for new entrants to the marketplace, but it's also amplifying, you know, the impact that, um, for want of a better term, bad actors from both inside and outside organisations are having on particular markets. We're seeing. Increasing sophistication and frequency of cyber attacks on many organisations. You know, it, it's very easy to you know to see what's going on. You just you type in data breach into your search engine, and and there, there'll be a new article from today. And mm-hmm. in actual fact, if you type it in today, Amtrak are in the process of reporting a, a data breach. A couple of days ago, there's an article about somebody else. Mm-hmm. So you, you take that point. You take the frequency. Uh, you also take the you know the fact that, that many people now are working in complex organizations that are data rich that are connected to the internet and other public networks and basic human error is also exposing sensitive information to individuals enterprises that you know aren't explicitly supposed to have access to that to that information mm-hmm. So that, that's the that's sort of the key point that that more and more businesses are moving more of their engagement into a into a you know for want of a better term a, a digital form, but this is also highlighting the fact that the foundations on which they are doing that are not protecting sensitive information and digital identities and data. So you mentioned before about incumbent technologies. So if these if these players out there are not really working and they're not doing what they say they're doing, why are people not objecting to it or completely outraged by purchasing products that are supposed to do something and then don't? How how come there's not more sort of people speaking publicly about this type of behaviour? Well, just and I do do want to be clear that um, while the data points as it relates to that particular statement about the fact that, you know, things aren't working at the moment, I'm using the frequency of breaches and the size of breaches as a means of, of demonstrating that things aren't working at the moment. But the, a lot of the technology that is in place now, a lot of the um, the architectures that are in place now, they are responding to 
the the market and the attack vectors of uh, of uh, you know bad actors that are looking to do damage, and, and they they are slowing things down. Mm-hmm. They they're definitely slowing things down. But you know we haven't come up with the you know the, the magic means by which you go about ultimately stopping that information from from being stolen or misused, and that's the key point. So you know technology. The, the technology marketplace has continued to respond to the, the needs of the market, but they haven't quite yet cracked the the code of ultimately delivering what you know what we're after, which is our basic human right to privacy. When you spoke earlier, you mentioned that things are sort of slowing down. What do you think the reasoning is for this? Just so I'm clear on that particular point. So uh, strategies and technologies that organisations that are connected to the internet, uh, that they're putting in place to defend sensitive data, mm-hmm. you know, they're working. They are slowing down the impact uh, of um, cyber and other threats on that core data set. The, the the challenge with that approach to defending sensitive information um, is ultimately not delivering the you know the outcome that m- many humans are after, which is I don't want you to defend my data, I want you to protect it, mm-hmm. and and that's the key that that's the key point. Um, you know, if I'm handing over sensitive information about myself, my family, especially non-transient, I, I don't want that enterprise to come back to and say we're going to work really hard to defend that data. I want want to know that if I'm sharing that information with them, that they're going to protect that information from all sorts of threats, both inside and outside of the organisation. Okay, let's talk about like startups sort of moving into the space, as you alluded to in in the start of our conversation, uh, and those startups deploying their product. So I'm really keen to sort of get your insight in terms of multinationals trusting startups. And what I mean by that statement is that startups, a lot of them have the solution out there, but they're they're being overlooked because they haven't been around for 20 years. And part of a, a procurement process in a large corporation, they require these types of documentation. So I'm just really keen to hear your thoughts on that, on what your advice would be. So advice to startups, predominantly informed by the benefits um, of you know the work I've done with the Haven Tech business over the past 12 or so months, is... At the, at the core of any of these startups is an insanely good idea that, that people are looking to bring to life to make life easier for those those people that interact with, with that new business or bring something to market that customers will love. Often in that journey, um, whether it's building a product or building some software, sometimes you might lose sight of ultimately how you're going to now take your product into the marketplace here you're essentially going to go to market with that idea to scale the business uh, that's going to not only help you, you know, deliver on the original purpose for setting the startup, but but also capture parts of the market that maybe some competition already or somebody that competes in your ecosystem already exists in. And so knowing where you differentiate from the competition and knowing how you differentiate in the context of the customers that you are ultimately seeking to to serve, to surprise, to delight, that that becomes really important, certainly as it relates to the means by which you go about introducing your idea to, to new potential customers. 
for us and um is a great question on the procurement process because we've spent you know three years building the platform a year validating that with select clients and we're just in the process now of introducing ourselves and the outcomes that we can deliver for an enterprise uh, to organizations and when we do get introduced into a procurement process you know spending time educating them on how we go about doing what we do and and you know, compared to my previous experience, disproportionately more than than I originally thought. But mm-hmm. going in with the expectation that you you do need to spend some time if you're bringing a new idea to marketplace that does something, you know, transformatively different that delivers outcomes that has eluded the market up until this particular point. You are going to also need to prove that you can do what your um, product claims it can do, and that's you know, that's Time's one of the things you're going to need, um, as well as the ability to e- educate an audience. Um, and in our instance, not only a technically literate audience, but a risk literate audience, as well as in some instances, a board level audience. And that's, and spending time perfecting that, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, I possibly should have been more patient, but. I would certainly encourage uh, you know any any startup to do. A final two other final points as well. Um, if if the core of the business is around some ideas that don't exist, I would encourage you to you know while you're starting to establish the business and building it out, if there is IP or patents uh, that form the basis of your propositional product or solution, I, I would invest in protecting them mm-hmm. um, you know you're, you're expending a lot of value and time and, and so forth to to bring that idea to life and, and you do want to protect that idea if it's unique and predictable and then and often easier said than done uh, you if you're entering into a marketplace where there are some you know competitors already because they deliver something similar to yourself you want to figure out a way of competing on your terms and not on theirs and, and that that can be quite tough, but mm-hmm. uh, it's certainly worthwhile pursuing because you want to you want to take the fight from them and bring it to you. I completely agree with a lot of your points that you made there, and I think that that's highly relevant because a lot of innovation is is created in Australia, and, and it'd be good to see a lot of these startups actually leading the way in this space. So, Dave, mm-hmm. from our chance, you've you sort of mentioned to me that people need to be focusing their attention on data and identity. So can you walk me through what you mean specifically by this statement? Yeah. So, you know, up until this particular point, global economies have been able to thrive based on the existence of trust between people or trans- transactors in an exchange. And, you know, the future of you know, the open enterprise, open government, is really going to be heavily dependent on the existence of digital trusts. And whatever literature you come across, the key foundations for that are your digital identity and the data associated with it. And the fact that we haven't yet come up with the means by which we can protect that information means that we haven't resolved what is essentially a real challenge facing the digital world. I mean, the flip to... You know, Mary Meeker's report from last year as well, over 50% of the of the planet are now connected. Now, there's still 48% that 
that aren't. And if we if we don't if we don't get to a means by which people can go and confidently digitally connect, you know, we, we are we are missing we are missing an opportunity to get all of the benefit associated with this you know with the increased connectivity that ultimately the internet affords. So the core digital stakeholders, consumers, enterprises and regulators, they're all seeking an inherent solution to the weaknesses of the current digital trust model, which is protecting digital identity and data. We, we strongly believe that addressing the weaknesses will require some rethinking as it relates to the foundations of digital trust, you know, revisiting the need to centrally store sensitive data, changing the way applications interact with that data, changing the way individuals uh, the enterprise and third parties access that data and providing individuals with more granular control over how their personal information is used and shared. We think that's, that's going to be really important as we head into an era of even more digital connectivity, even more digital interactions, and, and potentially, and I don't have any better information as to what the future holds here than anyone else off the back of this particular moment, but you would argue that this digital technologies will play an even more important role in keeping a distributed, connected workforce efficient, which will have even more things going on, even more sensitive information now being shared between mm-hmm. workforces that are remote. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, the other thing I'd like to ask you about, because you, you touched on consumers there and as you're probably well aware that people nowadays are prepared to give everything away for convenience so do you think and just based on what you said because we do have a lot more digital connectivity and what's happening in our world and where we're headed will this sort of be the new norm and if so how do you believe consumers can get their power back and if they can but when you say new norm, are you talking about the, what could be described as the blind acceptance of the set of terms and conditions associated with many websites you sign up to? Websites, applications, and just people being probably naive or just perhaps not aware of what that actually means if they give their, their information away? Certainly as it relates to digital interactions that customers are having, and often in that sign-up process being asked to sign up to a set of terms and conditions, some of which, you know, if you read them, you, you might think twice about them. I, I think what, what many organisations are demonstrating at the moment is that, yeah, most of humanity actually will sign up to these terms and conditions. And they are putting a level of, you know, trust, especially as it relates to the more sensitive information they're sharing about themselves on these platforms to, you know, ultimately deliver to, to any protections that are, uh, ultimately uh, somewhat afforded by the terms and conditions they're signing up to. But the, the flip is that humanity also likes convenient solutions. And when you are presented with a long set of terms and conditions, there's a lot of research out there about you know, many people not reading that information, just clicking OK and moving on. I think the society's response to that particular point, I, I'm not sure it's going to come through a wholesale change in human behaviour. I think what society is, what it feels like society's key responses to that particular situation is where people are signing up to terms and conditions and they're not delivering on their customers' right to privacy or the protection of sensitive information. The society is responding with regulation for 
regulation by sanction for breach. That seems to be what's going on at the moment where, you know, you see many jurisdictions, California, Europe, and even here in Australia, introducing new privacy protections over industries or jurisdictions that um, certain organisations look after. And it, it feels like that's the primary response to uh, that society's taking at the moment to ensuring that, you know, that people as part of the sign-on process and that are accepting the terms and conditions that they've been asked to, 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 to use the service or the conditions on which they're asked to, to use the service uh, that we're relying on. Do I think that's the the long-term goal um, or the, 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 the end state? No, I think we're, we're starting to see the emergence of um, more granular consent processes being presented to um, customers uh, in a process or a moment, uh, especially in health. And we're working with um, uh, on, a, on a government initiative at the moment uh, where we are seeking to orchestrate the electronic consent uh, from a customer within a digital interaction uh, with a series of terms and conditions to proceed down a particular health route. And you could imagine in the future that that model of um, securing explicit granular consent from a customer as it relates to uh, the set of terms and conditions for them to proceed to the the next step, whether it be treatment or research, will be something that emerges that does start to engage the customer in a dialogue around ultimately what they're signing up for or what they're signing up to to happen next. Um, Mm -hmm. We see that that more as a target state. I also get the sense, and even those early days, but some of the protections that have been afforded to some of the larger big tech organisations with legislation in the States, it feels like that's starting to be clawed back a little bit. And if, um, if some of the platform providers have more explicit responsibility, not only for the contents within the platform, but the, you know, privacy related to the, their, the customers using their platform, that we may see some more behavioural changes within enterprises that are offering these services. Would you say it's a fair assumption if someone, so let's say a, a non-tech or a non-security person or someone from a privacy background were to read the terms, do you still think that even if they read it, they probably might not quite comprehend what those terms mean anyway? What am I judging humanity? What am I, what am I judging humanity by this, my response? Well, well, um, well, what I mean by that is perhaps – uh, I, reading terms and conditions can be worded in a way where it can come across very convoluted. And I think perhaps maybe these uh, companies can word things in a way that people can make sense of perhaps in terms yeah. of the terminology and the language used. Yeah, it's a great question. And also back to, to a certain extent, a couple of messages that we started this conversation with. You'll find a lot of technology in this space ultimately ends up being technology solutions designed by technologists for probably technology problems and certainly terms and conditions when you read them it feels like uh legal solutions to to what are essentially legal problems written in legal terms Mm -hmm. Uh, i think the organizations that are going to be able to differentiate themselves you know to work with the the regulation and the legislation that sits over their business and their customers those that are going to be able to deliver on human outcomes with human terms 
they're ultimately where certainly where where our business is you know is focused and where I think many of our clients that we're, that we're dealing with at the moment that we will encourage them to head towards because we need to be providing things that are relevant to humans that they understand mm-hmm. that are convenient to use that don't infringe their rights mm-hmm. especially their right to, their right to privacy uh, and you know we think that you know, innovations out of the Australian market can help deliver on putting the human back at the centre of this experience in a way that doesn't confuse them, that doesn't have them, you know, blindly accepting terms of use that ultimately, you know, give away information about themselves and the ability to properly scrutinise what they're, they're signing up to. So the long, short, you know, the, the fact that they many of these terms and conditions are so long is worrying enough because there must be something in there hiding that, that um, yeah, maybe um, some of the organisations that are putting these terms and conditions out don't really want us understanding. Oh, exactly. And that's what I was sort of asking the question because unless you're perhaps a lawyer reading that word by word, perhaps I would say majority of people would not understand it. It's all too hard. Couldn't be bothered. I want to get this application on my phone, for example, TikTok, and I'm just going to accept whatever's there because other people are utilising it and that means that it may be okay uh, so that's what I meant earlier around the convenient side of things, that they couldn't be bothered going through it. And even if they did go through it, would they necessarily understand at a fundamental level what that meant, what that meant for their identity, for their privacy? I don't think so. And I think that perhaps in terms of the onus being put back on these providers, but to word it in a way that makes sense for people to actually understand what they're getting themselves into or perhaps not getting themselves into. And again, look, I, it's a hypothetical question, but I'll put it out there because it may get somewhat to the core of this. If if you there's a social two social platforms you're looking to sign up to, and one of them has you know 30 pages of terms and conditions that you need to click OK for, and another one has uh, we will not lose your digital identity and not share it with anyone. We will not lose your data and not share it with anyone. Uh, if you want to share your data with somebody, uh, we will allow you to do that. If you want to remove that sharing, we will allow you to do that. I would certainly personally, I would head towards the social platform that left me in control and one that I felt that uh, was, you know, taking me as an individual, protecting information about me as opposed to the other one that's possibly um, not disclosing everything clearly as to mm-hmm. what they're going to, what they're going to do with my digital fingerprints as I leave them over their platform. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Absolutely. I think that that's a, that's a really good way of putting it. So I'd like to sort of just move on to our sort of last part of our interview and just talk to me about your thoughts on the future state in the identity space and and perhaps maybe just touch on what you guys at HavenTech are doing about this. Yeah, so look, uh, great question. I've touched on this a couple of times during the, the course of our discussion. I, I do think we're in the identity space, you want to get back to a – a uh, suite of designing solutions that put the customer at the centre of the experience, not the mm-hmm. technology team that's building it, not, but the uh, the customer. And for us, it's it's about delivering on two things. It's about delivering on convenience and delivering on privacy. And we think they're going to be important features, components, whatever you want to call it, of the, the technology that's ultimately going to find favour with um, uh, customers in, in the future. So certainly those that are interested in um, doing more digital engagement because convenience is going to play a role, but ultimately being, you know, doing that with uh, the confidence that they know that information about themselves 
is not being shared with others who shouldn't have it or cannot be stolen. We think they're going to be really important. So technologies that put human back at the centre of the experience, we think is going to be insanely important in the identity space. Back to this convenience and um, and privacy piece, the reason why we feel quite strongly that that's the target state for many of the experiences because the means by which you know many organisations are going about digital identifying their customers and uh, confirming they are who they say they are, whether it be through a, a multi-factor experience, like closing the loop via a phone or another device, or enforcing a long, difficult-to-remember password, we, we, we don't think, you know, from certainly the research that we've had access to, that humans will continue to gravitate en masse to uh, digital experiences that make it more and more difficult to sign on to. In actual fact, you know, you, you see it somewhat in the data sets that comes out from uh, some of the password compromise sites at the moment. It's the vast majority of, of people reuse their passwords, which would suggest that when they're using their digital assets, that they're definitely interested in convenience. Mm-hmm. Knowing that, knowing that you know, people do want a simple means by which they can go about getting access to these digital services, having that front, front and centre of the experiences you put in the marketplace, we think it's going to be insanely important. But doing that in a way, which is part of the challenge, but also, you know, the core of the Haven Tech proposition, putting a convenient means by which a customer can digitally identify themselves in a way that does not compromise their security, that that ensures that when the enterprise is breached or the cloud is breached, that those digital identities can't be stolen. We feel uh, that is a target state, certainly in the identity space, um, is going to be really important. And the convenience, um, you know, whether it's passwordless or PIN or biometric, um, we also feel quite strongly that that should be a customer choice. You should, as the customer, confirm the convenient means by which you go about uh, digitally identifying yourself. We feel that organisations that are offering that choice to their customers, again, on foundations that um, deliver on the privacy proposition, uh, will have a will, will play a key role in helping uh, organisations and enterprises acquire their digital customers and keep them engaged uh, with the digital experiences they're putting out into the marketplace because mm-hmm. they're easy to interact with and you can do that in a way that you feel confident that that organisation is, um, is there servicing you, not selling your data to somebody else or not storing your data in a way that is you know high risk and, and at, at risk of being stolen or, or used by someone that shouldn't have access to it. Mm-hmm. So, Dave, I really appreciate your time in talking about your knowledge and experience in this space. If people perhaps wanted to ask you a question because I didn't ask you a particular question that they really want to get the answer to, how can people go about reaching out to you? So, if anyone is interested in finding more about Haven Tech, you can follow our Haven Tech LinkedIn site. So, just search for Haven Tech on LinkedIn. We're sharing a lot of information about the products, what our solutions do as well as the means by which you're engaging with myself and the team. If you do want to get in touch also with us, you connect to haventech.com. There is a contact us drop down and put your details in there. If you have a question you'd like, we'll respond uh, quickly and uh, look forward to talking to you. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Dave. I really do appreciate the insight that you've given our listeners today. Well, thanks for the opportunity to uh, share it with them. 
Thanks for tuning in. As always, we hope you got some new ideas or ways of thinking from this episode. And remember, you can always reach out to our guests if you do have more questions. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we always love to hear your feedback. So leave a review on iTunes and we might just give you a shout out on a future episode. You can find me on LinkedIn as well as on at I am Carissa Breen on Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to know more about how we help tech companies, check out carissabreenindustries.com. Until next time, stay safer.